continuing our series in Philippians uh, called Enjoy Again, where we're just reminding each other of the joy that we have in Christ and celebrating that together. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Um, God, I thank you for the chance to preach your word. Lord, it is a privilege. It is an honor. It is beyond me. Um, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts now. Lord, help us to be receptive, God, for all the things that distract us, that, that tear our hearts away from you, the things in particular that we're anxious about. Um, Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts, that we would, you just help us to see that the big things and the small things that distract us are all small compared to you. Um, God, help us to love you, help us to savor you. God, I just think of being a child in church with an awesome view of God, and I just recognize that as we get older, we can get jaded, we can, uh, we can diminish the awe that we feel towards you, and God, I pray that this week and every week would be a time that we gather and we refresh that vision of who you are. Uh, Lord, help us to see you, help us to savor you. Lord, guide my words for your glory that this time might not just be well spent in a human perspective, but God, I pray that this time would be supernaturally used to change us, to transform us, to draw us, maybe for some, to salvation and all of us to sanctification. Lord, help do what we can't do. Amen. All right, last week we were talking about fighting for peace, or another way, uh, fighting for unity. Another way to look at that is um, fighting for peace among us, peace within our body. All right? This week we're going to talk about peace within uh, we're going to be, the, the title that I'm giving the message is Practicing Peace. You could equally well call it an antidote to anxiety. And what I want us to understand is that what, we're, what we talked about last week was intensely practical. What we're going to talk about this week, it's even more intensely practical. Uh, one of the challenges I want to give you this morning is to take that passage uh, that Jeff just read that we're going to be preaching through and this week to memorize it. Um, you know, write it on a three-by-five card, write it on a scrap of paper, type it out on your, on your smartphone, make it the lock screen, whatever. Um, I've memorized a lot of scripture in my life. I, it was kind of a value that our church had growing up. It's something that I really embraced, that I've loved, that I've found useful. But kind of pound for pound, word for word, if, if you're just looking for scripture that you can memorize, it's really going to impact the quality of your life. This is maybe about as good as you can get. Because again, it's, it's dealing with anxiety. And maybe I'm mistaken, but, but I'm just guessing that every single one of us in this room struggles to some degree with anxiety, with worry, with, um, with, with these thoughts that grab a hold of our mind and grab a hold of our emotion and they just pull us in a thousand different directions. Amen? All right? This, this is stuff that we struggle with. And what we see in Scripture, um, I think about the parable of the soils, where Jesus is talking about different kinds of soil in which the seed of the gospel falls. And, and some of it, it's just like concrete. And the seed, it, you know, it bounces off. It doesn't penetrate. Some, it penetrates to, to some degree. You know, but, but there's some struggle in that penetration. Maybe, maybe it's the rocky soil where, um, where a really good root system can't be established. Maybe it's the good soil. That's where the parable ends, and that's where we want to be, that we would be the good soil where the gospel take root, takes root in our life, and it flourishes, and the roots go down deep, and, and the fruit just, just buds, and it grows, and it expands, and our lives multiply gospel influence 30, 60, 100 times over. That's where we want to be. But one of the other, one of the other 
scenes that we see in that parable is the seed that falls among the weeds, among the thorns. And it says it chokes them out and makes them unfruitful. It says the worries of this world and the worries and the anxieties of life choke out that seed and make it unfruitful. It's a crazy thing this week as I was studying, I realized that the word worry that I only use in reference to worry, that like originally in the English language, it was primarily used of choking and strangling. Like, like it was, you know, when, I don't know if that, if the worry connotation came about, you know, when the King James Bible came in and there was like a play on words going there. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened there. But originally it was strangulation. You know, and kind of like the secondary meanings were like tearing and twisting. So, so either somebody is grabbing you by the neck and choking you out, or kind of as I was reading through the definitions and the nuance, I was, I was picturing like a, a yippy little dog that like jumps up and, and grabs a hold of your forearm and just sinks in with surprising bite and won't let go. And you shake and he shakes and everyone's shaking. It's not going well, but, but you can't do anything about it. You've got no power, you've got no strength, and it's like so much of the anxieties that we look at in our life. You know, something that we desperately care about is going wrong. You know, and maybe in hindsight it's trivial, or maybe even in hindsight, no, this is big stuff, you know, this is, this is life and death, this is COVID and cancer, this is whatever, or maybe it's, you know, you're in third grade and what does that boy think or what does that girl think? You know, maybe it's big, maybe it's small, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your grades, whatever. But whatever it is, it, it grabs hold of us, you know? It sinks its teeth into us. It, it twists, it turns, it pulls. And it's hard. I, was, I, this, I don't usually go into all this word meaning stuff, but like I was interested in the English stuff. I'm looking at the Greek word here. The, the, the Greek word, it originally means pull apart. Pull apart in opposite directions. So again, it's, it's what anxiety does to us. That, that it grabs a hold of us and, and, you know, our thoughts are pulling us to the right and our thoughts are pulling us to the, to the left and up and down and back and forward until we get to this place that we're so emotionally weary from the whole endeavor that we either just fall apart in a puddle or that anxiety turns to anger and we explode, okay? But, but this is the normal stuff of life. Um, I don't know about you, but I come from a long line of warriors. It's like very natural for me to worry. And frankly, what I found in my life is that when I've taken scriptures like the passage we're looking at today, and, and I've just made them my mantra, you know, just the thing that I rehearse to myself throughout the day, when, when something goes wrong, when I'm beginning to stress, when whatever, that I just go back to this, and, and I practice the, the commands that we're called to practice, and I claim the promises that God gives, I find that God delivers on his promise. And that there is a supernatural peace that, that, that brings joy. And frankly, that it doesn't make me just a more joyful person for me, but it makes me a more joyful person for the rest of you. Like a lot of you guys, you see me on Sunday, and I'm like, oh, the guy's got a fair amount of joy, that's good. You know, my, my family sees me during the rest of the week, and they're like, yes, sometimes. You know? And there is an opportunity here that I want us to grab onto. You know, what I see when I cling to these promises, there is a joy and a gentleness and a hope that overflows and it impacts the lives of the people around me. And when I allow my heart to drift away from these promises, 
and these practices that I've been called into. My life not only lacks joy, it lacks value for anyone around me. And I just want better for all of us. Amen? That's what we're digging into. So this morning, it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you're like, well, the one thing I need to get is, what's this verse I'm memorizing this week? This passage, this is it. It's short. Um, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. We're going to see four commands and a promise. And these commands, they're habitual. Um, They're opportunities to practice peace, to train our minds, to train our hearts, to look to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to hope in Jesus, to rejoice in Jesus. And as we do that, to see God deliver on a supernatural promise to infuse us with his peace. All right, one more time, just in addition to what Jeff read, I just want to read it together as a group, and then we'll pick it apart verse by verse. Uh, Philippians 4, starting with verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we we begin with this verse that really captures the essence um, of the entire book. Not just this message, but the entire book, the entire series. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says, be joyful again, be glad again, celebrate the joy that you have, not because your circumstances are going well today, not even because your prayer was answered, not not because anything in your life has come into order and you can rejoice in that. No, it says rejoice in the Lord, meaning rejoice in the relationship that you have with him, rejoice in the stability that you have in him, despite all the churning and turning and stretching and tearing and choking of this world. Rejoice in the relationship with him. Rejoice in the standing that you have with him. Rejoice in what he has done for you. Rejoice that your sins have been forgiven. And that God's wrath has been turned away from you. Because Jesus, the son, he came and he stepped between you and the wrath of the father. And he said, I will take that beating in your place. Pour it out on me. His wrath was turned away from us in in order that his fatherly love and affection might be turned toward us. Jesus took the wrath that that we deserved, and and we receive the fatherly love that that he deserves. Rejoice in the promises of God that, that, that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into his family. And that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You know, Romans, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You've been adopted, and it's permanent, and it's amazing. And you guys have mass, so I can't tell if you're getting it or not, but you guys need to get this. This is amazing. This is worthy of joy. And it's reflection on these realities that, that help us when, when the terrible times come. When divorce comes, or when cancer comes, or when somebody dies. It's these promises that anchor us and that give us perspective. Death is horrible. Death is an invader. Death is not something that God designed us to be able to cope with. All right? And yet, even in the face of death, when we set our joy in Jesus, it's like, what can death do to me? 
I'm standing next to the one who has conquered even death. And he loves me. And, and he, he has promised to guard me, to protect me, to care for me, to provide for me. Weeds, worries, the things that would naturally choke out my joy and make me unfruitful. What is that when my eyes are fixed on Jesus? That's what he's saying. That's what he's inviting us into. To, to say, you know, what are you anxious about today? Is it, is it homework or is it tests or is it, you know, the, the, the job that you're trying to get or the, the, the college interviews? Is it, is it something more serious than all of that? Yeah, these things are significant. But what are they compared to the love and grace of God? What are they compared to the adoption and affection of our creator? What are they compared to the provision and protection of our daddy? They're nothing. And that gives us perspective to find our joy again in Jesus, to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And one of the things I want us to see in this first command and in all of these commands is that these these commands are habitual. Um, these, are, these are commands that we need to go back to again and again. This is not something, this isn't like one and done, you know, ring the bell, I did it, I've arrived. No, this is, these are commands that, that our hearts are continually drifting away from and being pulled away from, from the sin-cursed world that we live in and from our fallen sin-cursed soul. And so these are commands that we go back to again and again and we remind ourselves again and we remind each other again. You know, we, we want to have the kind of relationships in our families, and our missional communities, within our, our larger community here, where when we see our brothers and sisters wandering into anxiety and wandering away from joy and, and wandering into self-destructive sin, not like the, even the big glamorous stuff, but just the little things in life where we start snapping at each other and biting at each other, we want to be the sort of community that loves each other so well and that is walking in the power of the Spirit and being led by Him in such a way that we can bring gentle correction. Not to one-up somebody or to say, you know, I'm like spiritually, I got it together and you don't, and so I'm going to correct you. But no, we want to be the people who see sin in our lives and sin in the lives of of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we intervene. Because we want to draw each other back to the joy that we have in Christ. Because in a minute, we're going to need that brother or sister to be the one who reminds us and who draws us back to the joy that we have in Christ. Amen? So first thing we see is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Um, the, the command, we could, we could summarize it as continually look to Jesus as the anchor and source of our joy. And I promise as you do that, the pulls of everything that would draw you into anxiety, they'll begin to diminish because they're just drowned out by the joy that you have in him. That's the first command. The second comes in verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Again, let your gentleness be evident to all. First thing that strikes me about this verse is that it assumes about me It assumes about the church in Philippi, it assumes about all of us who are in Christ, that we actually are gentle. You know, that that it's not that you got to get it together and be gentle. No, it it like assumes that there is a gentleness there that, well, we just need to kind of put that to the forefront where the world can see it and glorify God. And wow, do I hope that that's true. How I long to be a person who is so characterized by the 
by the gentleness of Jesus that when people spend time with me, it's top of mind. You know, they see it, they sense it, whether it's my, my family or, or you or, or, or people that I spend time with in the community or the guy that I'm standing behind in line in Meyer. Oh, that my life would be so full of gentleness that it would be evident to all, that it would be evident to everyone around me. And on those days when I'm not gentle, when I am impatient, when I'm unkind, when I'm self-centered, oh, that this vision of the way that my God has been gentle with me would win me over and would draw me back toward a character that would reflect his glory. Amen? What's this gentleness that we're talking about? The Bible has several words for gentleness. This one, it has a nuance of selflessness, of being kind and courteous and tolerant and yielding. Um, Maybe one of the best ways that I could summarize it would be the nuance of this selfless gentleness. It's the exact opposite of how Americans are known internationally. What are we known for? We're being loud. We're being loud and proud of our freedom and of the fact that you can't tell me anything and that I have rights and I am going to receive my rights. That's what we as Americans are known for throughout the world. What is he inviting we as Christians to be known for? The exact opposite. That we would be the people who just don't care about our rights. That we would be the people who can be walked over and stepped on and knocked down. And we don't need to defend ourselves. We, we don't need to fight and claw to get what it is that we deserve. Why? Because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Not only the one who is the example for us, that, that, that went to the cross, that said, not only do I not need my rights, I don't need my glory. I'm going to empty myself of all of this glory. And, and I, I, I was in heaven being, being worshipped by everybody. No, I'm, I'm stripping all of that off. And I'm headed to earth. And I'm going to be born as a baby. And I'm going to be beaten and mocked and punched in the face and crucified for you. If there was ever anyone who could say, hey, it's about me. And let's, let's remember that it's about me. It would be our creator and redeemer. And yet he says, no, I'm going to, in this moment, I'm going to make it about your needs. I'm going to die in order that you might be saved. Let's, let's be people who are gentle and selfless, not just because of the example of Jesus, or not just because of the empower, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But let's be people who are gentle and who are not obsessed with our rights. Because we trust in God to provide for us and protect us. You know, we're the people who don't need to get justice in this moment because we have a God who's promised that there will be justice. And maybe that justice will come in in punishment for the person who wronged us, or maybe so much better, that punishment will come because our gentleness led that person to repentance and led that person to Jesus Christ who bore their sins as well. Amen? Let us... Let us be the people who, because we look to him, we're, we're, we're just over all the trivial little things that go on in our lives. And so that we can be gentle. 
The only way we're going to become gentle is if we look to Jesus. But here's the thing about gentleness. You can't manufacture it in the moment. In that moment when life is shaking you and twisting you and choking you, the gentleness has to already be there because whatever is in you, that's the thing that's going to well up in that moment of crisis. So if our gentleness is going to be evident to all in the hard times, in the trying times, in the stressful times, in the anxious times, then our gentleness has to be there at all times. And if our gentleness is going to be there at all times, then frankly, we're going to have to practice gentleness. We're going, to, we're going to have to see our lack of gentleness, our selfishness, and all those things. And we're going to have to be continually repenting of it. Continually asking God, work gentleness in me. I, I don't see it at work, but it is the fruit of your spirit. And so you're going to have to work. You're going to have to do it. I need your help. Let's, we, we, we need to be a people who are about that at all times. I've got a buddy who's a strength and conditioning coach at U of M. And I saw in his uh, Facebook feed this week, he, he posted something like, if you, didn't, if you didn't do squats this week, you know, squats like the, the quad workout kind of thing. Maybe it works out other stuff for you guys who know stuff. I don't do squats. But um, he said, if, if, you, if, you haven't, if you aren't doing squats this week, your quads are getting weaker. And when the lion comes and is chasing you, you're going to be at the disadvantage. Like you're going to be the one who's going to get eaten. Because your buddy next to you who's actually been doing his quad workout, who's been doing his squats, he's going to outrun you. You're going to be the one who's devoured. And some of you guys, you know, you're not into those metaphors. You're not into, you know, weightlifting and workouts and squat racks and all that, whatever. If we're not working on gentleness, if we're not practicing gentleness, if we're not seeing the gospel implications of gentleness or lack of gentleness in our lives, then, then in that moment when we're tried, when we're stirred, when we're choked, when we're strangled, when we're struggling, gentleness is not going to be the overflow. But if we're practicing the peace of God, if we're looking to him, if we're trusting in him, then, then in that moment when life goes bad, gentleness is going to be the shocking overflow of our lives and the watching world is going to give glory to God. And that is the invitation that we're given here. Command number one, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. In other words, continually look to Jesus as the anchor and source of our hope. Command number two, let your gentleness be evident to all. Trust Jesus, follow him, lay down your rights and your privileges and your priorities. The third command is the first one where we get a prohibition. Um, Beginning at the end of verse five, he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near, therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Again, what is it that is stressing you out? What is it that's got you worried? What is it that you love that feels threatened? You know, maybe it's a relationship. Uh, Maybe it's your reputation. You know, like, how am I doing on this test, and how is that going to reflect on you? Maybe it's, maybe it's your financial security, a, a job interview. Um, maybe, it, maybe it's not your wealth, maybe it's your health, and that cuts, that cuts deeper. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's something serious. But again, whatever it is, if the Lord is near, if the God of all creation who spoke and the world existed, 
and spoke and the light was separated from the darkness and, and spoke and, and, and trees sprung out of dead earth and spoke and, and Adam and Eve were created and spoke and we continue to be created and we continue to be sustained. If he is standing next to me, then what in the world do I have to be stressed about? You know, if you're a little kid playing on the sidewalk a little bit too close to the road and you know, a, a car comes racing through at 40 miles per hour. Yeah, you should be startled. You should be scared. That's a, that's a scary moment. There's, there's not much separating you from being killed by that car. But if daddy's there, and daddy has his tight hand on yours, then who cares what's going on around? Because daddy can protect me, and daddy can provide for me, and, and daddy is there. That's the attitude of the Christian. Not that we get this right all the time. No, we are, we are fallen, broken people who are continually drifting away from God, continually drifting into sin. But the attitude of the Christian who is, who is walking in the power of the Spirit, who's, who's keeping in mind the things of God and the reality of who God is, it's, it's the one who just says, what do I care what's going on in my life? In the words of Brother Lawrence, I am practicing the presence of God. Like, I, I'm walking with him, so everything else is trivial by comparison. Amen? That's the invitation here. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Remember that we have a defender. Remember that our God is all-powerful, that our God is good, that our God is near, and let that reality destroy the power of anxiety. Now again, am I saying that I live this perfectly? No. Man, what a wonderful week for me to prepare a message like this and just be convicted again and again and to just recognize the ways in which, no, it's, it's not that whether I'm living it perfectly or not, it's, it's whether I'm living it marginally or not, okay? But again, I look at the times in my life where I let this scripture be one of the dominant controlling influences in my life and there is so much joy and there is so much fruitfulness and there's, there's so much less time wasted on stress, you know, Jesus talks about it in Sermon on like, like what is, what is your stress accomplishing for you? Who of you by worrying can add a single day to his life or a single hair to your head? Some of you guys, you know, you, you got that stress going. Stress is not going to help. Maybe scientifically it's going to hurt. I don't know. You can't add a hair to your head. You can't do anything. But there is a God who is all-powerful, and so we look to him. The last reality, the last command that we, we see is because God is present, because the Lord is near, there's an invitation to talk to the Lord, to pray. Um, verse 6 in the fourth command, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I want us to see this word, everything. In everything. The big stuff, the little stuff, the trivialities, um, and the life and death. In everything, present your request to God. God. God paints the picture of himself as this loving, doting parent who is profoundly interested in the lives of his children. Like, hey, come and talk to me about your day. Talk to me about what's on your mind. Let's, let's spend time together. If you're worried about your exam, let's talk. If you're worried about your future, let's talk. If you just feel 
lonely and tired and discouraged and generally anxious about you don't even know or understand or remember what? Let's talk. But when we come with our anxieties, let's not just come with requests, but let's also come with praise. Let's not just be eager to ask, but just as eager to appreciate. Because if we're not praising God for who he is in the midst of our prayers, then then we're forgetting who it is that we're talking to. Okay, so I think this is just giving us some perspective like God is so great and God is so good and he has been so good to you even on a bad day that, that, that as, as much as we're, we're weak and we're fallen and we're self-absorbed and whatnot, in the midst of talking to God, we need to step back and again, just realize who it is that we're talking to. And as we do that, our, we're going to stand in awe. We're going to fall down in awe. We're going to be thankful for the opportunity to even be, be talking to him at all. We want to bring all of our weakness, all of our fear, all of our confusion, all of our frustration that any small child has, and we want to bring them to our daddy. So command number four is is just pray. So with that in mind, I just want to read through the whole passage again, and I want to see how it comes together, because we've gone through the four commands, and now I want to come to the promise. And I want us to see how the promise relates to the practice. Um, Philippians chapter four, again, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Two observations about this promise. The, the first thing I want us to see is that this is a supernatural peace. It's, it's not just an inner peace that, that you manufacture because you've done the right practices and you've, you've put yourself in the right mindset and now you can experience peace. No, this is a supernatural promise that, that God delivers on, that it's his peace that's going to be infused into your life. Um, some of you guys who, who maybe know a little bit about systematic or historical theology, maybe you're familiar with, with Martin Luther talking about an alien righteousness. You know, as, as he was reading Romans and reading Galatians and, and coming to understand the gospel better, what he understood was that the, the righteousness that that scripture often talks about in the life of the believer, it's, it's not that their life is like, you know, perfectly together and they glorify God in all of their actions, but, but rather that the righteousness of Jesus, a righteousness that is outside of them, a righteousness that in his words are alien to us, his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, it is credited to our account and it begins to infuse our lives and change us from the inside out. And that's the same picture that we have here, that a peace that is unnatural to us, that a a peace that transcends understanding, that you're like, well, that doesn't even make sense, having that kind of peace in that situation. It's this alien peace, this this peace of God that he says, this is going to infuse your life and invade your life and begin to transform you from the inside out. This is a peace that is beyond your ability to muster in your own strength. It's beyond your ability to comprehend the peace of God which transcends all understanding. 
But God doesn't just promise to give us this peace or promise that this peace will invade our lives. The second thing I want us to see is that this promise of peace will guard us. This promise of peace, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Imagine Paul's circumstance here. He's, he's in prison. Much is made of that. We don't know whether it's his first in prison or his second imprisonment. We don't know if he's in Rome or in Ephesus. We don't know a lot about it. We don't know how his day-to-day is going. Okay, but we know that at times during his imprisonment, he was locked in an inner cell and he had, he had a Roman guard on either side of him, one chain to this wrist and one chain to the other wrist. And there's a couple other guys in the cell because especially early on, he was like this high priority. We don't know what's going on with, with him, but there's riots surrounding this guy. We need to make sure that, that we got this guy locked up and then they lock the door and then outside, there's some other guards on the other side of the door that are making sure that this guy doesn't get out, that nothing happens, that the, the status quo remains the status quo. And I think it's that sort of image that he calls to mind when he talks about the supernatural peace of God coming into our lives. And he says, the peace of God, kind of personified, embodied, it's going to stand as the sentry. It's going to stand as the guard. It's going to stand as the protector that's, that's going to keep any enemy from invading your life. Because that's kind of how anxiety is. Like, uh, like in Ephesians chapter 6, um, we, we read about the shield of faith that can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Essentially, that, that Satan is, is shooting these, these flaming arrows, and we've got this, this amazing shield that on contact, it, it extinguishes those arrows. Those arrows of anxiety, those doubts, those wonders, the, the, the idols that, that our heart clings to, the, the things that distract us and keep us from looking to Christ. Okay, he, he says that, 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 that you're going to be attacked at all times, but, but what I'm promising you as you lean into me and as you trust in me and as you hope in these promises is that the peace of God, personified, embodied, is going to be the guard that extinguish, extinguishes those arrows, that, that protects you from every evil attack, that, that helps you to keep your mind focused on him. He says, trust me, seek me, bring all your concerns to me because you know that I care for you and my supernatural peace, it'll stand over your thoughts and it'll, it'll stand over your emotions and it will protect you from all of that. In other words, I think what he's essentially saying is that my peace will become your peace. Because God is not stressed out by, you know, surprises in the day or whatever. One, they're not a surprise to him and, you know, he can handle it. He's, he's not stressed out by the things that stress you out. He says, trust in me, look to me, walk with me, and my peace will become your peace. What I want you to understand is that this is not only an amazing promise, like this lofty, oh, wouldn't that be great? This is a true promise. And again, this is just something that I've seen lived out in my life, day after day after day, and then I get distracted, and not after not after not. And then I go back to these promises, and I go back to these scriptures, and I, I just make it something... There, there are few scriptures that I have said more times in my heart. You know, I remember my college years, I was, I was a 
good student. Um, I wasn't the hardest working student. So um, by the grace of God, there were good results. But like, um, I, I chose a math major because math came pretty easy, and I didn't want to have to read. I didn't want to have to write. I didn't want to have to do homework. I just, I just wanted to. Sh- it, it was math was this this weird degree where you could just show up for four exams, and it was that was it. And so like. 10 minutes before the exam, when I have about 10 minutes to walk across campus, I'm like, oh, man, i gotta, I got to get moving. So I would open up my calculus book or whatever, and I'd start to go in. Yes. Well, now I'm going to have to run, you know? And how God intervenes in your, in your testing prayers and overcomes your lack of preparation, you know, that's between you and God, whatever. Um, but, but what I know is that in those moments, I would start to get anxious, you know, because I know I haven't prepared very well. I know it's, it's, it's kind of close whether I'm even going to make it to class on time. So what did I do? I would, as I'm running across campus, I'm quoting the scripture to myself, and I'm claiming the promise, not that God's going to overcome all of my um, laziness and give me an A, but, man, I'm just claiming the promise for peace. You know, and so it began in these trivial areas that I was stressed at because academic success was one of my idols. And what I found is that it overflowed into the important areas. You know, as a college student, when I began to to preach, um, when I began to um, share the gospel with, you know, with my classmates and with anybody that I could, and, you know, as, as I don't have words, and, you know, it's, it's easy in those moments to get stressed out because you're like, well, I don't want to get the gospel wrong. I don't want to, I, I, I want to say the right thing. I want to clarify. I want to I say the things that would be helpful to draw these things. And, and all of that stress, it doesn't help. You know, in that moment, what's required is simply that we look to Jesus and we trust in Jesus and we hope in Jesus and that our faith in him and our gentleness and, and all that goes with the gospel is so evident that it becomes compelling to those people. So in those moments and in every moment, I just began to recite in my mind, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again and rejoice. Let, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I just, I just began to have the habit of claiming that promise and believing that promise, and experiencing the blessing of that promise. I'm not, I'm not going to keep on stressing about this. God has promised that he's going to supernaturally infuse me with his peace so I can get on with my day. But it's, it's something that you practice. It's faith. is like any other muscle that needs to be built. It needs to be maintained. You know, If you didn't do your squats today, your legs are getting weaker. And it's, it's the same thing with practicing the presence of God. It's the same thing with trusting in his promises and receiving his peace and exuding his gentleness. And I'm just saying, I want that for you. My family wants that for me. Amen? There we go. That was quite soft. When Jesse amends, it isn't very loud, but it was there. Okay? All right. If you're identifying with this, if you see anxiety in your life, and if you don't, then, like, listen up all the more because there's, like, you're just out of touch. Um, if, if this is you, I just, I don't give you a lot of, like, challenges, go do this, but this is a week that I want to give you a go do this challenge. 
I want you to take this passage, pick whatever translation you like, and I want to challenge you. Get a three-by-five card. Get a scrap of paper. Type it out on your phone. Whatever you do, get this thing in front of you and read it throughout the week. Read it again and again and again. Read it when you're flossing your teeth. Read it when you're you know, walking from the house to the driveway to get in your car. Um, read it when you're walking across the uh, campus, across the parking lot. Read it when you're in line at the store. I'm not telling you memorize it because some of you guys, that's like really stressful and I'm not good at that. What I'm telling you to do is I want you to read it like dozens of times, dozens of dozens of times or however many times until, oh, accidentally, I wasn't even trying to memorize this, but somehow it's stuck in my head forever now. I just want you to go over this again and again. I want you to learn it. I do want you to memorize it. And I want you to pray it back to God until this becomes characteristic of your life. Because if you do this, your life is going to be better. And the lives of the people around you are going to be better because the gentleness, the peace of God will come into your life in a supernatural way. And through that, the gentleness of God will come into your life in a supernatural way. And through that, the gospel of Jesus Christ will become more compelling and will make more sense to everyone around you because they see it overflowing out of your life. And I want that for you, and I want that for our community. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have been so good. Lord, just to provide for us in this time, to move among us, to to teach us your word and to begin applying it to our hearts. And God, I pray that, that we would be the people who would continue to embrace your work in us and would invite you to, to dig your word deeper into our hearts. Lord, may your peace invade us. May your gentleness overflow from us. May the gospel and all of its gracious implications be present in our lives for your glory and for the good of all around us. Amen.